0: And welcome to the fourth episode of Stories and Stuff with John. The show where every week I change the format uh, because I haven't quite found the flow that I like. I'm your host, John. And every week we do tell you a story and talk about stuff. Uh, This week's story is no exception. It is a story. And actually it's a story that's really significant to my life. It's something really kind of eerie that happened to me when I was 20 years old. And I'm curious what you think about it. But before we get to that story, this last week, uh, Spotify Wrapped came out. I'm a big music guy. I love music by way of illustration. I listened to, according to Spotify, 103 genres this year and 1,262 different artists. Um, Some more than others, obviously. I didn't take the time to listen to them all in an exact equal amount of time. But I think one thing that illustrates is that in the era of streaming, it is harder and harder to absorb new music. You used to have to pay for it, and then you felt responsible to it, to really listen to it and listen to it until you got it or knew that you didn't like it. But now there's like a thousand new albums coming out every week. Maverick City Music alone put out four albums um, a week this year, and it's just so hard to really absorb any of it. So... I was thinking back of what's the music that really got under my skin this year. And there's a few that jumped out at me. I just wanted to share with you guys. And then later, I'd love to hear uh, hear what was the music of your year. Um, one of the standouts for me is Natalie Bergman's Mercy album. If you haven't heard this album, get on it now. You will either really, really like it or really, really not like it. I don't think there's middle ground on this record. It's very, very unique. It's got this throwback 50s, 60s, and 70s sound that still feels modern. It's somewhat doo wop in places, and sometimes she sings in a high falsetto that my wife can't stand but I love, um, and other times she sings in her normal register, and that tends to be less controversial. <laughs> but... It's songs that came out of a silent retreat that Natalie went on at a monastery um, after the death of her father in a car accident. And it's a really unique album. And uh, if you want to start with a with a sample track, I recommend Shine Your Light on Me. Uh, that's a good one. Something else that stuck out, I probably listened to the song Psalm 116 by mercy house and andrew peterson the acoustic version probably listened to that dozens of times this year as i went on morning walks Find it really peaceful really beautiful song really liked the need to breathe album into the mystery i don't think it's their best album but there are a few things about it that really really stand out the first song the last song the duet with john foreman and their concert was just incredible and uh, also the gray havens new album blue flower Uh, it's an album about longing, longing for your true home. And yeah, it's just really stirring to me this year. Um, the song Endless Summer is one that sticks out. Yeah, and I would love to hear some of yours. So uh, at the end of the show, after our story and our special guest, we, I'll, I'll t- tell you the uh, exact question and the email address, and you can write in, and hopefully we'll read some of that feedback next week. But as it is, on with the story. I turned 20 in Northern California. I was there as what was called a summer missionary, a college student sent to a region of the country to serve and work for 10 weeks to spread the good news. An interesting challenge for me because I wasn't sure what I believed anymore. I'd been raised in a Christian family, my father a pastor for half my life, and I'd prayed a prayer and I'd been baptized at age seven. But my life at college was challenging that, not intellectually, but emotionally, what I'd been promised and what I'd actually experienced seemed miles apart, and I wasn't sure I could go on. I wasn't sure I wanted to. A couple of months before going to California, I'd had an experience that put my feet back on somewhat solid ground, but still my faith felt shaky, new, uncertain. And there I was to serve, to supposedly give answers. I spent the summer living in a trailer at a campground on a lake at the base of Mount Shasta, a 14,000 foot mountain standing on its own an hour north of Reading. Mount Shasta has an interesting spiritual history, drawing many cults and occultists to the surrounding communities throughout its history. The most common tales center around a race of elf-like beings called Lemurians who supposedly live in tunnels inside the mountain communicating with crystals, possessing spiritual power. Run-ins with them have been reported over the past hundred years and thousands of spiritualists and new age practitioners visit or live in the area. While living there, the mountain was described to me as one of the seven new age wonders of the world. Not sure what the other six are, they didn't say. One night in my trailer, I was awakened by strange rhythmic drum beats of some mystical ceremony happening nearby. It was nothing peaceful. And this was the environment I tried to rebuild my shaky faith in. One day, I was doing some work with the campground's handyman, an older hippie sort who was friendly to everyone and good with his hands. In my memory, he wore blue jean overalls without a shirt underneath and had his hair tied back in a long ponytail. He was one of those guys that exuded a calm and understated confidence, as if he knew the secrets of life, was at peace with everyone and everything, but also just existed a little bit above everyone and everything. He engaged with people, but acted as if he didn't need them. He was the kind of guy you really wanted to like you. And he was also the kind of guy who really seemed to like everyone. I was trying to talk to him about my own faith He seemed to love these kinds of discussions. Did you know, he said to me suddenly, that actually the Bible used to be filled with references to reincarnation? Really? I said skeptically, though my heart began to race a little. It's true. It used to teach reincarnation until many centuries ago a council of monks met to remove all the references to reincarnation from the Bible. Your Bible has been changed. Huh. I said, now this was years before Google, so there was no easy way to verify this, especially in the woods of California, but a seed of doubt was planted. The thing is, though, he continued, they missed one. It's in the Gospel of John. Jesus and the disciples meet a blind man that Jesus is going to heal, but before he does, his disciples ask him, was this man born blind because of what his parents did or because of what he did? They're asking if he's being punished for sin from a previous life. Otherwise, the question makes no sense. Hmm. This shook me a little. Was it true? Was I deceived? Was the Bible so easily changed? It sat in my gut for the rest of the summer, not dominating my thoughts, but simmering there, a growing doubt. If that was true, what else did I believe that was a lie? On the one hand, it went against what I'd been taught and experienced so far in life, but on the other, there was a lot I didn't know. Summer ended. Before going to Texas for my junior year of college, I flew home to Vermont to visit my family. My father and my sister picked me up at the airport. On the hour drive back to the house, my sister began talking about a friend she'd made that she was getting really close to. Many stories about this friend. And then she said this, Her mom is a bit strange, though. I perked up. She's into all of this weird New Age stuff. She channels spirits, stuff like that. Somehow I knew what she was going to say next before she said it. In fact, just the other day, she was channeling the spirit of this monk. This monk who was on a council to remove reincarnation from the Bible. I'd heard that story in California... And then, 3,000 miles away, within an hour of landing, I heard the story again, as if some spiritual being in Vermont was trying to water a seed planted in California. And it was too much. I actually laughed. It was a trick. That was too specific of a coincidence. See, in California, I had seen and felt true spiritual darkness, met people deceived by lying spirits, and by some window of God's grace, I instantly knew that this was the enemy's trick to try and shake my newly cementing faith. He blew it. It was too dramatic. It was too obvious. It didn't work. The seed of doubt tried to bloom too fast, and it died. Now, since then, I've learned how easy it is to disprove the story about the monks factually. For example, we have copies of the scripture written and recorded centuries before this supposed council happened, and they're basically the same ones we read today, not changed, not containing a bunch of extra teaching about reincarnation. But that's not really the point. The point is this. I'm a human being. No shock there. But what that means is that I have good days and bad ones. Some days my faith in God feels rock solid. I look at the world and it seems obvious that all of this was made by a loving creator who made all humans in his image, but that we humans have damaged the world and are ourselves broken, that we strayed from the path of life God sets out for us, and that there's a spiritual enemy actively at work to destroy us. On those days, this is the best explanation for all that I see and then there are days when i'm full of doubts and seeing through that lens seems stupid or impossible and that's okay faith and certainty aren't synonyms i'm learning to be comfortable with not knowing everything with not having proof of all that i have faith in still proof is nice sometimes and when people talk about proof they usually talk about seeing a miracle or a healing or having an unexplainable vision, and I have those stories. But sometimes, proof just comes when the devil overplays his hand. So when I wonder if I've made all this up in my head, or if I've fallen for a lie, I think back to the time when I was told a dumb story designed to hit me right in my faith's weak spot. Twice. On opposite sides of the country. It's time for feedback. Uh, Last week I told some stories about some rather intense college professors that I had, and I asked you guys if you'd had any experience with any teachers or professors who came across as a little bit crazy. Uh, You wrote in, and we only got one bit of feedback this week. Marcus writes about a criminal law professor that he had who was very, very soft-spoken. He would speak in kind of a low voice until he said a word like, KILL! Or STAB! Or STAB! which we would do in a very dramatic fashion. I bet that kept everyone awake at the right times. Uh, so thanks for that feedback, Marcus. In addition to that, um, just like last week, we have a live guest here today to give some feedback of his own. So here with me in the studio is Adam. Say hi. Hello. And Adam right now um, is a teacher himself. Um, not one of the crazy ones, I don't think, but kind of where he's teaching and what he's doing is a bit interesting. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that?
1: So I don't know if I would call me a not crazy teacher, but that's up to you. Uh, I teach in a a little island country called Mauritius. Uh, If you've never heard of it, uh, you're in good company. I had never heard of it for a while either, but it's a little island country off the coast of Madagascar, and I teach in a small school called Lighthouse. Uh, What do you teach? Uh, I'm not a teacher in the traditional sense per se. I, uh, I run what's called a family's advocacy program, um, just helping uh, provide extra support to uh, families uh, that need it in kind of a holistic way is the shortest way I can think to describe it.
0: So, you know, living in a foreign country has a lot of benefits and also setbacks. So just on a purely shallow level, if you were to bring one thing from your home country to Mauritius and then one thing from Mauritius here, like a business or a restaurant or something, what would you bring?
1: So the country where I live, um, the public transportation is really bad. It's just, it's kind of awful. So I think if there's one thing I would bring there, it'd probably be like Uber or something. Uh, would be incredibly helpful. Um, and then one thing that I would bring here, um, I mean it's kind of silly, but if I could just pack up the beaches and the mountains, it's a very pretty country. So uh, if I could just pack up the beaches and the mountains and just dump them all in the middle of the Piney Woods region of Texas, that'd be pretty awesome for me.
0: I'd go. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Okay. You said that um, you had a kind of intense substitute teacher, a recurring substitute when you were growing up. Tell us a little bit about her.
1: Yeah so um, I think a lot of uh, ISDs around uh, Texas and stuff like that have um, you know sort of a, a stock of substitute teachers that they call on whenever they need. So this was a lady that we saw me and my friends uh, when we were when we were freshmen and kind of saw throughout our time in high school. And by the time we were all seniors, we'd kind of gotten to know this lady. Uh, And her name was Miss Gabota. Um, I'm changing her name, obviously, for for her own sake, because she is a real person out there somewhere. But um, I'll never forget that name because she spoke entirely in the third person. And I think most of the times when you think about like a teacher speaking in in the third person, you think about like a kindergarten teacher who's like, Miss Jones is so happy. Miss Jones is so proud of you. No, this was like a fully grown uh, Jamaican woman, actually, (laughs) who um, taught seniors in high school. And she was very intense and very strict. And she'd come in and she'd be like, all right, students, please sit down. Miss Goboto will begin now. And so we'd sit down. But the, the interesting thing about her is that I mentioned she's very strict. And so the smallest thing would kind of set her off. But we all have, especially myself being in the teaching profession, we all have our go-to triggers when we're not doing well and we respond kind of out of frustration. Like some people might raise their voice, some people might, you know, roll their eyes or there's different tics. Miss Gabota's thing was that she would launch into this like really incredibly long um, like soliloquy (laughs) about respect. And she would just start talking. And when I say long, I mean like 45 minutes. So by the time we were seniors in high school, we had figured out that if you get Miss Goboda mad enough, she'll launch into one of these monologues and then no class that day. Because all you have to do is sit down in your seat and listen to this Jamaican woman who refers to herself in the third person talk about respect. And she she would say all these crazy things while we were... Uh, listening, I remember one time she would just mention this, it kind of in passing. She she was like, you know, you students, you think that you can intimidate Miss Gabota, but you cannot intimidate Miss Gabota. Miss Gabota lives in a house with four large men, and I rem- and she just kept going, <laughs> and I remember I was kind of like. Wait a minute, what? Like can we go back to that? Cause like like context is key here. Like that could be either completely benign or something kind of weird and creepy. But she just kept going. She would do stuff like that. And I remember one of my favorite things is uh, I was in a class one time and she <laughs> she straight up like her big point in the respect uh, monologue was that she got to this big crescendo and she said, R E S P E C T Find out what it means to miss Gaboda. <laughs> I just thought I just thought that was that was beautiful. That was just you can't make that out.
0: I think that actually improves the lyrics. I think Aretha missed an opportunity there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. A- imagine if Aretha Franklin had said, Find out what it means to Aretha <laughs> instead of me. <clears throat> well,
0: that's that's amazing. Do you have any idea where she is today?
1: I don't. I I wish her well and hope she is doing uh, a profession maybe that causes her a little bit less stress. Last I heard, unfortunately, she had been let go because uh, the quote that I had heard was that she told a student, and I quote, you are a bad student and you are going to hell. <laughs> so, Yikes. Yeah. So it, again, some of us, you know, we all have our triggers. Maybe don't jump into substitute teaching if your trigger is telling students that they're going to hell
0: i mean i'm sure everyone who's taught has thought that at least one time or another
1: (laughs) i think it on the rags no that's not true that's not true
0: awesome well thanks for telling that story and thanks for being with us today Adam. thanks for having me You should know that Adam is actually also a writer. He's a super talented guy. He's currently working on a murder mystery that's set in Mauritius. I suggested the title, uh, Murder Most Mauritian. Um, We'll see if he goes with that or not. But if you want to check out some of his work, and you should, uh, go to his website. That's adamkamberg.com. Adam, K-A-M-B-E-R-G dot, which is like the period key in the bottom right part of your keyboard. I think you know it. Dot com. C-O-M. You should visit it and sign up for his newsletter. Uh, I promise it won't be a bunch of spam, pretty sure. And he will send out from time to time updates on how the writing is going. He will occasionally send you a free short story or some other writing. So sign up today. Also, just a reminder about our email address, storiesandstuffwithjohn at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you what you like about the show, what I could improve, where I can get a better podcast mic. (laughs) Um, And of course, this week's question of the week, going back to what we talked about at the very beginning, what has been the music that has made your year? Not necessarily what you listen to the most, but the music that really got in there. I'd love to hear some of what you've been listening to, and we'll read some of those on the podcast next week. And next week is our last episode of this year. Can't believe 2021 is already gone, but it's going to be our Christmas special where you get to hear me rant about my least favorite Christmas song of all time. You won't want to miss that. Thanks for taking the time to listen, and have a great week.